right, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Learning the Tropes. I am your host, Erin. Um, and this week, I am so thrilled to be joined by one of my favorite romance authors, uh, Diana Quincy, whose newest book, The Duke Gets Desperate, which is number one in the Sirens and Silk series. It's out September 26th. Um, thanks so much for joining me, Diana. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No, of course. And I do have, um, I don't know if uh, <clears throat> it's the most polite thing to just start with a story about myself, but here we go. Um, so I'm obviously a huge romance uh, reader. Um, you know, I have this podcast. Uh, and one of my uh, best friends one time asked me, you know, what are you reading? And I was reading Her Night with the Duke, which as everyone should be. <laughs> Yay. And I was like, you'd actually love it because uh, the heroine is Palestinian and her hero is like a white English guy. Uh, not as exciting, but um, and she is Palestinian. And she said to me, she was like, I didn't know that we got to be heroines in these books. Well, you and do it, now. <laughs> exactly. And so I just wanted to say um, it meant a lot to her and it meant a lot to me also as somebody who loves, um, you know, a Palestinian. Um, and I'd love to hear just a little bit about your, um, you know, writing your ethnicity and, and the way that you've been able to weave it into all of your books. Um, yeah. Well, um, when I started writing, my first book was published um, in 2013. And I chose Diana Quincy as my pen name. Uh, mm -hmm. I All of the characters were white and English, you know, all the traditional things that we saw in Regency. Um, and after I'd written um, eight or nine books, um, I was just bored. And I really, <laughs> I really didn't want to just write the same old thing. And I really wanted to try and write um, characters that um, had an Arab ethnicity, a Palestinian ethnicity specifically, because, I mean, for a number of reasons, we don't see ourselves on the pages very much. I've never seen us on the pages of romance. Um, I know there are a lot of Muslim writers doing uh, contemporary romance and doing it very well. Yeah. Um, but I've never written, I've never seen in the romance space, and it, it could be out there, I just haven't seen it. And I certainly haven't seen it in the historical space. Mm -hmm. um, where you have Arab characters that aren't, uh, you know, usually the Arab characters are villains. Um, the women are subjugated, especially if they're covered, if they take the hijab. It's not because they wanted to. It's because they were forced to by the mean, uh, dominant, domineering men in their lives. And the men were not heroic. The, the men were the men, the Arab men I've read about and seen in movies and on television are nothing like the men the Arab men I know, my husband, my brothers, my father, loving, decent, hardworking, hero quality men. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I really was excited about bringing um, those elements. And I, I was afraid, you know, frankly, um, that it would not be accepted. But I was very fortunate that um, uh, my editor, Avon, uh, Carrie Ferron, was excited about it and encouraged me and has just been great throughout the process, um, who's edited these uh, four books with Avon, uh, the first series of which uh, Her Night with the Duke was the first one. And this is, uh, like you said, the, the fourth book I have with Avon, the first one in this series. Mm -hmm. Was that like a long-winded answer? <laughs> no, it's a podcast. There's, it's all supposed to be long-winded answers. Otherwise, what are we doing? Um, no, and I love that. And I love the way that your heroes and heroines are able to yeah, exist so seamlessly in the culture, too. And it's, um, yeah, you just do such a gorgeous job of it. And especially the heroine in this story, Raya, um, Darvish, who is, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about her and, and well, the, really, the plot of the book. Yeah. I really wanted to set up a clash sort of between young American ingenuity and old English tradition. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I made her Arab American. In the last series, this, the, they were Anglo-Arab. So they were English Arab. Um, so she is a uh, Arab American woman from New York, uh, born in New York. 
And um, she has worked in her father's linen business. So she's sort of the brains in the operation along with her father. And after her father dies, her brother pretty much throws her out of the business. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then around the same time, she inherits this castle from a cousin she's never met, but has only corresponded with. Um, so when she gets there, she finds out the castle is falling apart, dilapidated. And so she comes up with like uh, uh, ways to make money for the castle, which is, you know, people do it all over England today. Uh, but that didn't, that wasn't happening back then. So mm-hmm. um, the Duke, who is very much traditionalist, is not into that. He's also very angry and frustrated that he did not inherit the castle. Mm-hmm. And then they fall in love. Well, naturally. <laughs> it's truly it's truly enemies to lovers. I think it's really mm-hmm. my first real enemies to lovers. And it was so much fun to write. It was a lot of fun to do their banter. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. I love you. Kiss, kiss. So it was a <laughs> lot of fun to uh, to do. Actually, I was uh, inspired. Um, I'd read a story about a real English earl mm-hmm. who, when his father died, that's when he learned he had been dis- and disinherited because the property was not entailed. Usually these properties are entailed every other generation. They have to be re-entailed, which means they automatically go to the oldest son and heir. Mm-hmm. In this case, in this true story, uh, he didn't learn out that he was, he didn't learn he was disinherited until after his dad died and his foreign stepmother uh, inherited the property and, and they're still fighting all the time. They're still in the news <laughs> um, fighting because he inherited the property around it, but she inherited oh. the castle. So I thought, oh, what a great, <laughs> what great inspiration for a story, for a book, a novel. Fant- oh, so that was like, that happened recently then. Yeah, well, I think she inherited it. Um, I think it's probably been like 15, 20 years ago, but they're still mm-hmm. fighting. I think it's, as recent as 2020, I think she was putting a new visitor center or something in, and he challenged her in court, mm-hmm. and and he lost. And at one point, like she she went on an extended trip, and he moved his whole family in. They had to go to court about that, and then he had to move out. <laughs> so, so I just thought that was such good fodder for a, a romance novel. So, oh, I mean, a hundred percent. It was it was fantastic, and she's. She's so fantastic as a heroine because, you know, she's her brother. It it, was, it kind of the same thing that happened to Strick, uh, where she found out that she, he was kind of like disinherited from having this castle that he thought it was always going to have. She had the same experience where her brother takes over the family business, even though she spent, it seems like, most of her adult life working there and making it really profitable. Um, so I think it set up such a great... Uh, banter that she kind of knows what it is to have that loss as well and is still smarting from that loss and it really showed why she was so obsessed with like making the castle profitable because she's like I'm a business lady and it doesn't matter the business (laughs) I'm gonna make things happen yeah right and she was a lot of fun to write for that reason you know that she could be successful and he of course comes to admire her for that yeah and I there's a lot of talk about um bringing um, sort of more modern ideas around feminism into historicals. Um, And I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of your point of view there, because um, I think that you do a great job of threading the needle where it feels very realistic as far as like her views of what's happening. Um, But it is still like feels modern at the same time. I mean, well, you really do have to walk a fine line, right? Mm -hmm. It has to feel... Um, true to the times, but also a modern reader is not interested in, um, you know, a, I don't think they're interested in a really subjugated heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think history is full of these remarkable women. I think they always existed, um, but they're just lost to history. One of mm-hmm. my books in my last series, um, the heroine is a map maker. And when I researched that, um, the great female map makers in history are lost to history because Mm -hmm. they didn't put their names on their maps because they would sell for less. So I think history is full of these women who are undocumented. So I don't think it's too far um, from reality. I just think 
these women, you know, who was who wrote the history, right? The history mm -hmm. was primarily written by men, white men. Um, and, and I think that's why they're not, that's why we don't know them. But, you know, some of the most remarkable women, um, you know, invented the computer, you know, and, and all the, and wrote Frankenstein. I mean, there was all these very um, uh, progressive women um, in those days. We, I just think we don't hear about them as much. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I mean, that's why I love romance, because I feel like that's kind of the work of the modern romance author, especially historical romance author, is finding those women and kind of like bringing them to the forefront, because it seems to be the trend at the moment of, I found this little notation in the bottom of a document, and it expanded. Almost all of my books are, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a journalist, so maybe that's why. So yeah. almost all of my books, uh, a kernel of that. Uh, come, came from something true. Mm -hmm. I would say almost all of my books, maybe not Her Night with the Duke, but everything else um, started with a kernel of truth in history that I thought that I expanded on and made a story. Um, so was there, I can't, did you ask a question? <laughs> no, but I mean, I'd like to hear, uh, uh, you know, I love the, the Viscount made me do it. it. She's a bone setter. What was sort of the kernel there that, that, sort of it, well bloomed. of course I wrote that a while ago and so my memory I can't remember really yesterday but <laughs> I can tell you and I can't tell you her name um maybe mm -hmm. put it in notes later but there there was a woman who was a very well-known bone setter oh. and and they brought her from you know they brought her to London from wherever village she was from uh like once a month she would come and like heal people and um, so that was definitely the inspiration. In that case, the woman was apparently very unattractive mm -hmm. and very um, big and tough. <laughs> and um, and she made a lot of money, apparently. I think she died in poverty in the end. But um, so definitely um, the, the Hannah, the character, the heroine in uh, The Viscount Made Me Do It was inspired by that woman who did exist and was considered one of the finest bone setters in her day. Mm -hmm. um, so I read that you kind of came to romance a little bit later in life. I think there's a lot of people who find it through their grandmother's side tables or a box in the back of the closet. How did you first start reading romance? Um, certainly not from my mother or grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very late. I'd already had kids. I think it was late mm -hmm. 30s. And I was in the library and, you know, in those days you had to still wait in line to get checked out. So I, we were, it was a long line. I was waiting to get a bunch of books really for the boys, for the kids. And I saw a romance on the end cap and I think it was Shirley Busby. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I started reading it in line. I thought, oh, this is entertaining. So I threw it in the basket and then I devoured it in like a day or two. And I came back and read everything by her. And then at the same time, um, I was working in a local television newsroom and I would work weekends um, and it on Sunday nights when I don't NBC, I don't think still carries football, but they would carry the football game at night and we would like be there all night. We wouldn't, the news wouldn't go on till like midnight. Oh, so right. instead of the 11 o'clock news. So um, the morning producer had a desk right next to where I sat and someone had sent him a, a publicist had sent him probably Avon had sent him a Julia Quinn book. Hmm. And so I picked it up while I was waiting and I read it. And I'm so good. I took it home. Yeah, I figured he wouldn't mind. And <laughs> then, and then I read, and I'd never heard of Julia Quinn. And then I read everything Julia Quinn wrote. And um, I think I, I must've read a hundred books that summer. I just read everybody, you know, I, you know, from Quinn, there was quick on the shelf. So I got her too. And hmm just just fell in love with the genre and you know then I read obviously Sarah McLean and Sophie Jordan and I mean those are the people I read that were my introduction I know they all read the generation before but I they're the people who inspired me and you know most of them are younger than me um, but they're, <laughs> they're the ones who inspired me to try my hand at writing romance and it's been so much fun and is was there a specific book or or sort of how did you go from reader to author 
I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if you had told me, you know, 20 years ago, I would have said, mm. I mean, I always thought like the writing lifestyle seemed so, you know, fabulous. Remember that? Yeah. Um, is it, it's complicated. The Diane Keaton movie where she has the beautiful beach house and mm -hmm. she's, and she's a writer and she's <laughs> like, her desk she's is in playwright. Front of the yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, that's the dream. <laughs> So I always knew I could write because I'm a journalist. I always knew I could mm -hmm. write. I didn't tell, think I could storytell. Um, mm. And I mean, I knew I could storytell a story that already existed to an audience, uh, but I didn't know if I could make up my own stories. And something about romance just clicked in me and I thought of a story idea and I just started writing it. And it was just really just a fluke. I'd never expected to finish it. I was on the phone with my best friend at the time and she was like, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I started writing. She's like, what, what, when did you do this? I said, you know, it's just for fun. And she's like, send it to me. So I sent it to her. And she's like, this is really good. Keep writing. Aww. So, and, you know, I, to this day, I can't really tell you what it was. Mm -hmm. But something about romance captured, historical romance captured my imagination. And I guess lit that thing in me um, that wanted to write one myself. And, um, and, you know, it has, it does have a formulaic nature to it. Um, the happily ever after, the conflict, internal, external. And that helped me, I think, start. Because if I have a framework, um, I, I do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's always the thing about romance, too, that because of the rules, uh, and it always ends happily, there is something so interesting about reading it. And I imagine writing it too, because, you know, I always say it's like 50% of the book, you have to be like, this is the one romance novel where they're not getting together. <laughs> and if you don't have that thought, then the ending doesn't feel as sweet, you know, right. and that's hard to do. Like, that's a lot of skill, you know? Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. it's about keeping it interesting and fresh and different, even though you know where it's going. I mean, the yeah. rules, because I came to it late, I didn't study mm -hmm. it. I, I, I just wrote it. I don't, you know, <laughs> I didn't know what the rules were. And uh, uh -huh. one of my first books, I had the hero um, get into bed with a wench at the tavern, <laughs> but he didn't enjoy it. <laughs> so. They can't enjoy it. That is a rule. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and so my editor at the time said, and it was my favorite note ever. And she said, um, just to let you know, the hero can never put his penis in anyone except the heroine. <laughs> so uh, that's my favorite note ever. Uh, but, you know, that that is limiting, right? Because mm -hmm. you're writing a rake. How do you, how do you um, write a rake that feels like a rake if he can't be raking it up with anybody, right. anybody else? So, I mean, I sort of did that. Um, I had a, a Duke in The Duke Who Ravished Me, who was a Duke who loved, you know, orgies and always had orgies and had a sex room and a sex wing. And he becomes the uh, guardian of two, I don't know, five or six-year-old twin girls who come uh, with the heroine who is their nanny, their governess. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, he can't automatically stop being who he is because that's really a big part of the story. So a lot of that I had to allude to and I had to keep it off the page, mm -hmm. but we had the idea that it was still going on. So that's mm -hmm. uh, the rules. Um, I don't like the rules. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> rules. And the only rule I like is the happily ever after rule. <laughs> yes. And I would say that's the rule and the central love story for sure. But because I don't know, have you ever read uh, dreaming of you? by Yes. Campus? Yes there's that ambiguous moment where like Derek might have slept with the, one of the girls he employs, or maybe he didn't. And it makes the story so much heightened. So I, I get that that's a rule and I'm sure I could get schooled on why it's really important, but it's not one that I'm as like stuck to. Like, I think it, that could be one that could be broken. I think it's the, in, in general readers are not accepting of that. I think yeah. that seems to be the, school of thought um but i and and you have to be careful because the readers are it used to be when i first started writing the readers were super tough on the heroine mm -hmm. and they sort of gave the hero a pass now they're super tough on the hero uh, in my <laughs> opinion and they're you know that he hasn't groveled enough or he was too overbearing or and you know sometimes they have to be a little bit of an a-hole 
on their journey, it's no fun if they start nice and end nice. Right. So it, that is to me the most difficult part to sort of n- navigate. Um, Cause you want him to be a little bit of a jerk. That's half the fun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's the turn. Right. Right. And in this case, I mean, I think the reviews were like, Oh, we love, love, love Raya. Um, but you know, the Duke is, yeah, he's okay. And that's fine. <laughs> Um, <laughs> because he's a little bit of a jerk in the beginning, but I, you know, that's the fun of it for me. So, um, I just can't make them too good. Uh, for me, writing that is boring. Oh, I mean, I just haven't talked about Strick yet. I think, cause I just haven't had a moment to, but no, he's wonderful. I, he, uh, he's such a dope, which I love. He loves his little artifacts and um, once he falls in love with Raya, he's so all in and to the point where he just would give up everything else in his life for her, which is as it should be. Obviously, that's what we want. I, I he's a dirty talker, which is so fun. I think, yeah, no, Strick is fantastic. And he yeah, but he starts as an ass, but also. It's understandable. Why. I mean, I think he's kind of a likable ass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if your if your child at home was given away to some stranger, you wouldn't be like, well, she seems like a nice person. You'd be like, no. Right. Screw I mean, this. She really doesn't deserve it. But does he? No. <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. Really. <laughs> so oh. talk about privilege, but <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, what is enough? His little cottage <laughs> on the grounds and everything. It's like, you're fine. You'll yeah. be fine. Which is a nicer house than most of our houses. Oh, <laughs> I, <cottage. yeah. laughs> All those cottages. I'm like me and my little two bedroom in Brooklyn. I'm like, I could do for an English cottage. Um, and also she starts so prickly that when he is so uh, upset by her, you also understand because she doesn't show up all like sunshine and rainbows. Like she shows up like ready to work, mistrusting, doesn't also know what's going on you know so it it all it all makes sense it's so funny my original incarnation of her she -hmm. was younger I wanted her to be young Mm. like a young upstart and uh, my editor who is never wrong (laughs) (laughs) Uh, literally I've learned so much from her um you know she said you know it's uh she, she doesn't she seems too young and innocent and She's not a good, she doesn't feel like a match for him. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why I aged her and made her a little bit more worldly. And I think she was right because I think that's what people are responding to in Raya in that she has experience as a businesswoman and she brings that experience um, with her to the castle. Mm-hmm. How old is she supposed to be in the book? She's 26. Something like that, right? She's 25. Yeah. I can't remember. All my heroines are pretty much the same age. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all... such like a romance, like she's ancient. 26. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's really, you get some pushback if she's mm-hmm. too old. And that's like 28 yeah. or 30. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, but I want to write an older heroine. I think it'd be fun. I mean, I think, I think that's in the cards for me down the line is to write an older heroine. Maybe older heroine, younger man. I love so, it. Yeah. So I mean, I'm exactly. uh, Lisa Kleypas did one, which I loved. Um, which one was that? I can't remember the name of it, but it's okay. where she she um, wants to lose her virginity on her 30th birthday. Suddenly you. <laughs> we just then, did that. Yeah. yeah. So I love all her books. So Oh, I mean, she's a master. Yeah. She's so phenomenal. No, Suddenly You is fantastic because she also finds out so late in the game his age compared to hers. And he's right. like, well, you were so sensitive about your age. I didn't want to bring it up. And she's like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was a great. I reread that uh, not too long mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Um, I did it for the for this podcast with America Ferreira. It was her first romance novel. Wow. Yeah. That must have been so. I'm going to listen to that. I saw that on your list. I haven't listened to it yeah. yet. So. It's good. Um, So there's a lot of discussion right now or the movement. And I think you can tell kind of like my feeling of it towards more uh, cartoon covers uh, in historical or contemporary. You have really, I would say, consistently hit the bullseye with your covers because they're pretty much all clinch covers, real models. Do you have any in their all gorgeous do you have any say in kind of how they're put together or 
I'd love to hear a little bit about your covers. Um, yes. Um, they send you, they ask you what you think about what, like you'd like for your cover. And then you describe your hero and your heroine, and then they send you pictures of the models that you choose a model. <laughs> it's, it's a total, it's a enormously fun process. Yeah. Uh, my, my only regret is that I have not gotten to a shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably don't want us there. I'd be like, no, that's way that. I mean, they, maybe they worry that we're going to try and direct the shoot. I don't know. But <laughs> um, so you choose the model. And for me, for promo, I wanted to reach out to the model. So when the book releases and for her night with the Duke, um, I, I never found out the name of the female model. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did find the male model who was on the cover of um the Faded Mate. What are those? The Faded Mate books. They're just out of my head now. Immortals After Dark. Immortals After Dark. Yeah. So he's very well known for that. So I did, I interviewed him, um, you know, used some of those clips and promo for the book. And it turned out that his grandfather was Lebanese. So he was Arab, oh, there you basically. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I said, have I got some nieces for you? <laughs> um, but um you're like, yeah, come so over for, yeah, for Leia was, having a little party. He was so delightful. And mm. I mean, we were texting, I'm telling you. <laughs> it was Aww. so much fun. <laughs> and then um, for the second one, um, the model I chose had joined my um, my readers group. So I was in there chatting one day and she's like, actually, I'm shooting this cover today. What, the Viscount like, book? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So we follow each other and you know, <laughs> she took pictures of the book with, with the book and sent them to me and I posted those. Oh. And um, I mean, that was so much fun. So in this case, um, the model is beautiful, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. um, she has never been on a cover before. So she was just so excited. She shared it on her page and um, I sent her, these are just, these are the advanced copies. These are not mm-hmm. the finals. So I sent her a couple of these because she was just, and I, I sent her, um, I don't know if I had any swag yet. Anyway, and she was just so excited to receive uh-huh. them. So actually it's a part that really enhances the whole um, experience. Um, I specifically asked for just a woman on the cover this time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about clinch covers when you're asking about cartoon covers or clinch covers. I, in the end, am for whatever cover will sell the book. Yes, of course. So yeah. If they said, you know, I, I asked, you know, and, and you know, it, now we're talking about different formats, whether it's in trade, the bigger book or the smaller book. Mass market is losing so much space on the shelves mm. that it's being harder and harder for us to be discovered. And if there's a cover that's less clinchy, um, that that will make people pick up the book and not have assumptions about it. Um, and so, I mean, there are some straight romance books that have uh, more traditional covers on them, not not romance covers, more historical fiction covers, or these cartoon covers um, that are doing gangbusters. And people don't consider those romance, and they are 100% historical romance if you read them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm for whatever keeps this genre alive, and for whatever gets these books on the shelves and into people's hands. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm for whatever it takes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And um, do you happen to, do you happen to remember her name? We can shout her out if anybody wants to find uh, her. It's like Mariana. I can look it up real quick. Um, it's Mariana. Oh, so it's, Mariana, no, Marianella mm-hmm. and Chetta. Mariella and Chetta. She is not Arab. She is a Latina. Okay. So I'm not sure it was good. Yeah. So, and she's super lovely and she posts on her page. And so, and then the one for, um, the one for her night with the Duke is also lovely. I mean, not her, I didn't, not her night with the Duke, the Duke who ravished me. But of course, that's just gone out of my head, even though we uh, communicate all the time. Well, not all the time, but anyway. <laughs> but I think the Duke who a- ravished me is just uh, the Duke. And it's a great cover, too. 
the Duke I knew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I was so happy. I'm really happy with all the covers they've given yeah. me. I mean, for um for the uh the the why oh, can't made me do it. A friend of mine found an extraordinarily sexy, I think it was a Helmut Newton picture of a couple on a desk. Mm-hmm. And she sent it to me and said, uh, like as a joke, the, the cover for your next book. And I'm like, the joke's on you because <laughs> I'm sending this along. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. So yeah, the inspiration comes from everywhere. And the covers are really one of the funnest as one of one of the fun aspects of this of this business seeing the cover is one of the most exciting parts of the book and and, and seeing the finished book is you know published mm-hmm. and in your hand is amazing too of course and i agree that anything that gets historical romance selling is something that i'm behind too because this is like the genre and the part of the greater romance genre that I am the most energized by excited by it's what I read when I'm not reading for the podcast um but I feel like sometimes with those more ambiguous covers or those cartoon covers I wouldn't pick it up because I don't know that it is a romance and you don't want to get burned and I think it's one of those double-edged swords where it's like yes if this brings new readers to the genre then obviously I love it and that's important I think everybody should read historical romance but also that's my fear is that it's kind of alienating the core readers as well I mean it's why it's like a tricky tricky thing right now but there's um one publisher and I can't remember it was um Suzanne Enoch maybe Mm-hmm. They put her. I'm not sure if it was her or not, but they're putting her cover out with the usual clinch cover. But they also did another version that was more cartoon, maybe. So I think that might be interesting to see. But that's yeah. true. You don't want to alienate, you know, your core readers. But I feel mm-hmm. like your core readers will know how to find you. Yes, but, you know, I'm always going to be picking up a Diana Quincy. So as long as Aww. I see that name, then <laughs> I'm there. Do you um, have like what do you think of the cartoon covers? Oh, I I hate them. You I do. don't like them at all. Yeah. I mean, I think it it's it's frustrating because I think what it does is it kind of it it, it seems to be kind of neutering the genre or making it kind of be like, oh, this the sexual aspect of the genre is something we have to like stay away from. Or hide. Yeah. Hide, exactly. And I think um you know, it's especially right now in the culture and things like that. It's 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 a part. It's an active part of the books, and it's a part of the genre. And obviously, not every romance novel has sex in it. We know this, but I think these are books where there is a sexual aspect to it that is important, and it's part of the storytelling, and it's important to the storytelling. And I think hiding that does the double edged thing of uh, if you're a reader who maybe doesn't want to read explicit sex scenes, you don't want to be surprised by it. And then if you are a reader who does want explicit sex scenes, you might stay away from a book like that. Um, and I think sometimes these, and not I'm not talking about any specific book right here, but I do think that there are books that deal with, um, can deal with like darker themes or something. And they have like a silly cover, uh, like cartoon cover. And it's like, okay, well, I thought this was going to be like a shopaholic. <laughs> and instead I'm getting faced with this person's deep trauma where I think clinch covers or more traditional romance covers were, really did an excellent job of showing you or giving you an idea of this is the tone of the book. Like this is what you're going to get in the book. You know? I see that. I think I, I totally see that. And is it because we have been programmed as historical romance readers Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what a historical romance cover looks like. Um, I, I think historical romance covers um, are, are need to evolve somewhere that's sort of in between mm-hmm. maybe that clinchy clinch cover and that more tame historical fiction. I, I think there's uh, a place somewhere in between that people haven't, that we maybe haven't found yet. Um but I don't know. And there's people more creative and brighter than me who I hope will figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm happy with this A-B testing that's going on with these two different covers. And I think that's great. And if that's something that's like possible, then sure. Let's see. Let's see how that goes. But like 
Yeah, I don't know. And maybe just because I like the campiness of it. Like, I just love it. I just love a clinch cover. I just think they're so over the top and so much fun. I'm like, bring back the water, the paintings that they used to have of the old like Lorraine Heaths, like her Texas Destiny series that has all paintings. I'm like, oh, uh, I'm like, if I could buy these and have them just like on my wall. Those are classic. So good. Those yeah. are classic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's uh, covers. <laughs> There's been a lot of discussion among authors about covers and what works and what doesn't and what should mm -hmm. be tried. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm sure. Um, I'd love to hear since you came to sort of fiction writing a little bit later uh, in life, how, how did you kind of integrate it into your, into your life and sort of make space for, for writing? Cause like you said, you, at that stage, you had already had children and, and things like that. And I'm sure you had a, um, like a pretty set way of doing things. And I'd love to hear kind of about that process. So my, um, when I first started writing, my kids were in school. Okay. So I, and I would work weekends so that we didn't leave them with a babysitter. I'd work weekend nights mm -hmm. in the newsroom. Um, so I'd put them on the school bus and then I'd write till they came home. So the thing, you know, the thing that maybe got left behind was cleaning the house <laughs> and really who cares. <laughs> but, um, and then as they grew older, my uh, oldest was in travel basketball. So that was a lot mm -hmm. of time on the road. So I told my husband, I need to get up. A, lap, a small laptop to go with. Um, I didn't really get that much writing done at games. There, like it was like when you're waiting between games. Mm -hmm. So that's how. And 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 now um, the kids are grown. They're older, and um, I have a full time day job, um, but I get to telework a lot of the time. So it's really in the morning, starting early or mm -hmm. after work, and often on the weekends. I mean, I didn't have much of a life, <laughs> so. A lot of the weekends, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was writing most of the day and then maybe we'd go out at night or maybe we wouldn't. So, um, I mean, you do have to give something up, right? So mm -hmm. and for us, I guess it was, you know, going out and having fun time, but I was so into the writing. It was fine. And my husband likes to save money. So that worked for him. So <laughs> it's double for him because he's like, we're not going out. And then we're bringing in more money. <laughs> so so he was like, out. clear the deck. Mom's writing. <laughs> yeah. And he would often, you know, make dinner if I was writing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he always made space for me to write. Mm -hmm. And although he was frugal, when I would spend money on writing related things, he never complained about that. So I think having a uh, supportive spouse is for me it was critical and I think for writers because you know you already feel guilty if you're not giving your kids 100% of the time or you know you're not cooking the best meals so I think having a supportive spouse is really important in the process oh yeah he sounds like a romance hero for sure <laughs> in that space for you I love that and it is so important to always pick um to pick the right spouse because I think you know talking to different people about, you know, me reading romance, they're like, Oh, don't you think it sets up this thing that like women should only get married and that should be the goal. And I'm like, if anything, I think romance teaches you how important it is to pick the right person and how much having the right person changes every aspect of your life for the better or should. And if they don't, then they're not the right person. Right. I mean, it teaches you, yes. Unrealistic expectations. Probably it's not going to be fantastic sex every time from the start <laughs> to when you're 80. I mean, maybe it is for some people, but yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it teaches you to demand certain things for yourself. It teaches you to stand up for your, I mean, there's so many lessons um, in romance, I think that are not boring because you're entertained, mm -hmm. but you're also absorbing the idea of being independent, of standing up for yourself, of only accepting a man who will respect you. And there are a lot of traditional themes. I mean, most everybody who has sex in these books gets married. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, less so now in historicals. Um, so uh, I, I think they're, you know, I don't know if people want to make fun of them, whatever, but I think people make fun of them. Those who do make fun of them do it because it's a woman. It's a woman dominated industry. The writers are women, the editors are women, the buyers are women. And I think that's why um, the industry is, or the genre is poo-pooed. 
Yeah. Oh, that's my big conspiracy theory, that it's the patriarchy, which is like kind of the issue with everything in the world, pretty much. But just that like, it's like men don't want women reading these stories where, like you said, where they're respected and they're valued and their wants and desires are important. And also like them having orgasms is also important. Like they're like, this is too much. Like we need, I always say that the issue with women, modern women, I think is not that their standards are too high. If anything, I think we could like raise them up probably a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and not all men. I mean, I, most of no. these men don't even know what's in the books, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, they could get better sex out of it. If you ask me too, if their woman is reading a romance. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. That's why I think like men should read romance too. And it would be so good for them because it's like, yeah, you'll learn a few things in there. hundred like, percent. Imagine. <laughs> Exactly. Or no, and obviously you found such a good man. And, you know, a lot of my friends are married to, to great men. I'm married to a good man. Like the good men are out there, but I'm just right. saying it's like, uh, that's why it's my conspiracy theory. Um, you know, and you mentioned that like romance can be kind of like poo food. So did you get any pushback when you came out as a romance author from anyone? I mean, you know, there were some people who would say, oh, I mean, there were, uh, yes. <laughs> People who would make jokes about it or mm. and then I would give them that spiel about, mm. you know, it sells more books than any other genre. It's support. It's pretty much holding up the whole industry. Romance, not just. A yeah, yeah. And um, and that, you know, and then some I just don't bother. Right. Because what's the problem? And then, you know, there was. Uh, Sometimes there was a gentleman at work who makes certain assumptions about you because you write romance. So. That was gross. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but in general, I mean, people are just so impressed that you've not only published a book, but several books. I mean, that's, you know, most people admire and are impressed when they hear that you've published a book. Good. As they should be. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um. So to go back to the Duke gets desperate. Um, so this is the start of a new series for you, obviously the sirens. And so can you tell me anything about like the rest of the books? Like what's the theme going to be? Cause sometimes in books you can see very clearly, okay, this is the next one. This is the next couple. Well, we did hear just... a lot about, yeah, somebody from with a lost love. So I was like, Correct. We'll be more. <laughs> gosh, do you think that might be the next guy? And who is his lost love? Do you think? What's your guess? Um, my guess is that it's her little sister. <gasps> Maybe. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. But I was like, but it's Philly. It's not Brooklyn Heights where she lives. So, Well, because I couldn't, I didn't want to be that obvious, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she went to Philly, uh, like for the summer or for whatever, to visit relatives or whatever. And that's how they met. It was kind of a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to, it's going to have um, like pride and prejudice vibes. So um, I'm excited to write that when I, I haven't started writing it yet. I mean, I wrote a little bit, but um, that's the next one. It's really right now only a two book series. So okay. yeah. So we'll see what happens after that. We'll see. Um, I just really had these two stories in my mind and then we'll see what happens after that. I mean, listen, if you wanted to set a book in Brooklyn Heights during this time, I think that would be fantastic. And I would be 100% up for that. Bring it to America. Do a little Joanna Shoup style. <laughs> I don't want to tread on her territory. No, she would love to have more people there. Are you kidding? I think it'd be fantastic. So, um, you know, I most my first series was Regency. The mm-hmm. reason I made this Victorian is because there's a lot more documentation on Arabs in America. Mm-hmm. Um, because most of them came in the, you know, after the 1850s. Um, so there's a lot of documentation about the Arabs specifically in, um, in Brook in Brooklyn and in New York. Um, so that's why I said it there. There's a lot of very rich resources that I have there. And a lot of those Arabs were peddlers. Um, they'd mm-hmm. go door to door selling things. And that was their route really to the middle class, almost directly to the middle class. So there's a lot to mine there. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I do expect to revisit um, this community in a more uh, robust way down yeah. the line. Great. 
I love to hear it. Um, so yeah, how much research goes into each of these books, whether it's like Arabs in the Regency in England, or obviously, like you said, in Brooklyn in the in the 1850s? I mean, for me, uh, a lot. I mean, for me, I have to um, feel that I'm sort of immersed a little bit in that world. And I need to have some real stuff from that world to sort of enrich the book and make it feel real. Um, and I think it's, again, the journalism, the journalist in me, um, I've written some historical mysteries and mm -hmm. all three of those cases were inspired by true murders. And, um, you know, those transcripts are available. Um, you know, in, in, in the case of one of those, I got the transcript and read it. Um, in, in the case of Raya and this book, the, the Duke Gets Desperate, I, um, I ordered a lot of books um, and, you know, went through the New York Times, anything, any kind of articles they had about the neighborhood at the time, all of those things. I didn't really need them necessarily for this book, but I wanted to completely understand the world she came from. Um, and I think that uh, resonates in the book, even if those details are not really there. So for me, I, you know, I, I do need to know, like, if, if somebody's living in a house, I have to research the house and what was the house like? And if they were poor, where's the poor neighborhood and what were the houses like in the poor neighborhood? Or is it a flat or um, all of that stuff to me helps build, helps with the world building, which enriches the story. Mm -hmm. So quite a bit, I would say. Yeah. And, and so do you start with, I want a heroine, you know, to inherit a castle in the 1850s and then go try to find like, okay, where might she have been from? Or are you just always kind of doing like passive research waiting? Well, no, what usually happens is I'll be on one book. Mm -hmm. And then while I'm researching the book I'm writing, I'll find another story that's going <laughs> to be <laughs> the kernel for the next book. Nice. So I'm always ahead of myself and, you know, all over the place or, you know, go down the rabbit hole. I mean, I think, you know, everybody does that. They go down the rabbit hole and, you know, I'll clip a lot of things or, you know, copy and paste a lot of things and forget half of them. But to try <laughs> to remember <laughs> to go back and have that. Um, mm -hmm. In this case, it was reading about um, the Earl of Cawdor uh, losing his castle to his stepmother. Mm -hmm. So I researched that. Uh, I researched that story, which was like, let's face it, just entertainment, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. They're just fighting awesome. and, <laughs> um, and I knew I wanted my heroine. Um, I wanted to write an Arab American heroine and I wanted her um, to be American. So she had that ingenuity, business sense. Um, and, um, you know, she's sort of uh, perhaps a fish out of water also in America, but she's in her community in America. And here she's completely a fish out of water. So, and I always love a fish out of water story. Um, so that's how I came up with this one. The Her her sister's story, I can't remember how I came up with it. I guess I was writing um, Hawk and I thought, can't remember honestly, um, but I thought <laughs> I, I really love Pride and Prejudice. So I really would like to sort of incorporate elements of that like lost love and it's too late and he hates me because I dumped him. and. So that's going to have a lot of angst, I hope, and romance. So oh, I love an angst. <laughs> um, I also love the aunt in this book as well and her working on her tattoos and everything. It's, yeah, she was so much fun too. I love a, like a grumpy older woman. Well, I mean, there are a lot of grumpy older women in my family. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's almost their love language. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, you look fat. That's kind of their <laughs> love language. Or, oh, yeah. yeah, it looks like you lost weight, uh, you know, or um, so, I mean, I think those kind of backhanded compliments. I mean, there's just a way of being very direct that mm -hmm. those older ladies had, um, especially when I was growing up. And so I very much modeled her. Uh, Auntie Magida and in the previous uh, series, the grandmother, um, very much on my own grandmother, um, who was like this grumpy, um, just wonderful, strong, incredible woman who uh, got married at 14, uh, came to the States, you know, started her own business, made her own money, uh, was un unapologetic about wanting to work and make money and um, because she knew that money empowered her. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so she was, of course, I didn't realize it till later. She was way ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, that's such a part of the culture, those women, those aunties. <laughs> so yeah. I really want, I mean, she's, you know, it's some comic relief, but it's also really based in reality. And, and, and I wanted to bring some of those. I really wanted to introduce those cultural elements like the Tatris is very important in Palestinian culture. And, um, you know, each stitch has a meaning. Mm-hmm. And um, so I really wanted to introduce that. Um, and, and gold is also very much part of the culture. When a girl gets married, um, the husband will dress her in gold. So um, when I was trying to think of a sex scene that was, you know, appropriate to this couple... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I incorporated a little gold into that scene. It was very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you follow on Instagram Tatris and T? Yes. Yes. I love her. Yeah. She's, she's phenomenal. She really is. She really so how how did you come to follow her? So my my best friend who's Palestinian is oh. really obviously into Palestinian embroidery um and follows her. So then she I think she used to live in Brooklyn. I'm not sure. She might still. But then she would do talks at the Brooklyn Textile Museum thing. Um, I saw it. Yeah. And she wrote the book and everything. So then we went and I followed her. And obviously, like, the the work is so absolutely stunning. So it's 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 easy to to fall in love. And, and yeah. I mean, I grew up with that. They were always they were always I mean, the hand stitching was normal. I mean, now it's much mm-hmm. more expensive. But, you know, for my housewarming gift in this house, my aunt, um, you know, stitched a thing for me and framed it. And it's sitting mm-hmm. right there, but I can't show it to you. But um, <laughs> so it's very much part of the culture. And, you know, still to this day, we wear it to weddings or we wear it to engagements. Mm-hmm. If you don't have something to wear to a wedding, you just throw it on and you're good to go <laughs> and you can rewear it. So, I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, having all those little things was so was so fun to read um so obviously this is a enemies to lovers this podcast is called learning the tropes what are your favorite romance tropes that you are looking for i love like a forced marriage uh you know uh oh they you know that forced proximity i love those (laughs) um i like you know i i'm not i guess that's the one that really gets me the enemies. Mm-hmm. I mean, enemies to lovers. I enjoy. For me, writing, I want to sort of write everything. Except, I will never write amnesia. I hate amnesia. <laughs> so, and I know. I mean, I've read a couple that are actually very good. I've read a few. Yeah. I. That's a trope I stay away from. I don't like to read it. I. I will never write it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, forced proximity. Really, you know, stranded, stranded somewhere together. Um. Yeah, but it's really that forced marriage, forced engagement, compromised into marriage. I would say that's the one I love the most. <laughs> oh, my God. It's amazing because it's always the tropes that you would be most fearful of in real life that you can't get enough of. Because I'm like secret baby, exactly like you, like forced proximity, forced marriage, in love with the wrong person, like love triangles where it's like, yeah, if that was my actual life, I'd be like, this is hell. <laughs> Right. And, you but know, love, so love triangles are hard to write in. I would really mm-hmm. love to, I mean, um, was it Brenda Joyce did a series set in the Gilded Age where the heroine solved mysteries. Um, but, and, and they actually had two men who were both hero quality who were sort of vying for her. So that was like a real love triangle. Mm-hmm. And you don't see much of that. Um and I, I, I love the idea of it, but I don't think you can really, I think it would be hard to do that in a romance because you can't like just, I mean, I've done it, but usually that third person, I mean, I get them out of it, obviously, <laughs> get them out of the situation. Right. Um, I like that. I like that trope, but a trope where they are two really strong, two really strong uh, hero, heroes who are hero in contention you don't see that a lot. And I love mm-hmm. that actually also. I mean, I think you could do that if you gave the lose, like the hero who doesn't get the girl the next book or something like that. Like he gets a consolation prize. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And I'm sure people have done that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. What are um, your favorite tropes? 
Oh my gosh. Well, all of those are my favorites. I love like a bodyguard. I yes. love yeah. uh <laughs> well, I proximity. Love Exactly. It's, I mean, basically forced proximity. Um, I like when they're travel, like they're traveling together, and one of them has somebody waiting for them at the end, but they fall in love along the way. That's a like oh. you don't see as much, but I love yeah. that one. Um, yeah, all of those are fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this uh, movie has a lot of different things. It's enemies, mm -hmm. lovers. It's class difference. It's, um, you know, social difference, ethnic difference. Um, I, you know, I think all of those things make for a more interesting story. Um, and and it, it's, they're conflicts that are less manufactured and more mm -hmm. really based in the real world. So those are, are fun for me to write. I, you know, I can sink my teeth into them. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that I like loved about this book as well is like you said it, it he is a duke and she is you know an arab american uh, daughter of a merchant as <laughs> everybody likes to remind her as often as possible but i think that like he doesn't have any money and she doesn't have any money and so it is them building this together there's no magic will that gets found at the end that's like oh actually you have a hundred thousand a year or something like that um, which I like because you, they really do have to build this thing together from basically nothing, um, which I think is also such a great tr trope or something you don't see that often. Because I think it, sometimes I get a little bored of the like 90% into the book, we discover somebody's very wealthy. Right. Like, okay. There's, I think I've written that too. <laughs> okay. Well, I, everybody has and like, no, but, you know, books, yes. but. no, no, but yeah, yeah. I mean, fine. Um, but yeah. I'm just saying it's something different that I liked, you know. Yeah, well, I'm glad. And I try, you know, I came in with that idea that she's hardworking, mm -hmm. so she has to earn the money, like, you know, most of us mm -hmm. uh, are not going to inherit. But I I'm still waiting if someone wants to leave me something. <laughs> exactly. Like, listen, do I have long off aunts or uncles or anything like that? Right. Um, if anyone wants to leave me a castle, I'm on board. <laughs> a hundred percent in work i always think that's so funny too where they're like oh this modern idea of women working and i'm like i don't know what your family was like but the women in my family have always worked my grandmother just had jobs she hated but like yeah this idea that like women used to just sit around i'm like who right and i mean there yeah. were some i guess but there were also yeah, many certainly. who worked they yeah. had to and whether, you know, in the old days, whether they brought in stitching or, I mean, they were all contributing mm -hmm. in so many ways um, to, to the livelihood of the family, unless, you know, they were more well-to-do, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What are you reading lately or what have you read lately that you've really loved? I am just starting um, Sarah McLean's book mm -hmm. and uh loving it so far of course <laughs> um that's knockout right i always i'm terrible at titles i'm also yeah. i'm also um just started reading um felicia grossman's cinderella retelling which midnight is really, book yes i'm, yeah. I'm terrible what is that kiss at midnight i'm really I'm bad the I'm cover's really gorgeous too i can see the yeah. cover in my mind i cannot see the words <laughs> on the cover <laughs> so um those are the two romances i'm reading right now and um, loving. I'm also um, uh, get to read um, Mila Finelli is writing um, something called Virgin Mafia Virgin. Mm. So I got to read the first um, like third of that. So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <That's> fun. <laughs> She's amazing. I, I love her yeah. so much too. Her books yeah. are insane. Yes. <laughs> yes. In the best way possible. Yes. And just the title makes you want to pick up the book and read it, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, so we always end episodes with uh, something that has you swooning. So it can be a book. It can be a TV show. It can be an app. It can be kind of like anything. Is there anything right now that you're really loving and telling people about? Hmm. I'm so, I'm redoing my kitchen. So I'm so obsessed mm -hmm. with that. So I'm not doing anything <laughs> else that I'm swooning over. <laughs> I'm swooning over, you know, new samples and you know, how to decorate a glass-fronted cabinet, how to style mm. it. So um, I'm so bad at these catch-me-off-guard things, but I'm really just really 
trying to get this kitchen renovated so that um, I can use it again. <laughs> so. Oh my God. Yeah. So in your Nancy Meyer uh, era, uh, yes, just gorgeous <laughs> kitchen. I don't think my kitchen will ever be as gorgeous as anything in her movies. I go to see her movies half to see the decor. Mm -hmm. So I'm loving decor right now, I guess is the answer. <laughs> yeah. Listen, that's something to love. And a whole new kitchen is a big deal. Um, so how can listeners find you? If they want to be first in line for the next book, which they should, obviously pick up The Duke Gets Desperate, which is out, like I said, on September 26th. Yeah. So pre-order or just order accordingly. You'll love it. <laughs> I oh, love it. Thank that. you. I had so much fun writing it. So I hope people mm -hmm. like it. I'm thrilled that you liked it. Um, I'm on all the places. I'm most active on Instagram. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a newsletter. I have a website, dianaquincy.com. Mm -hmm. For the latest news about if there's a new book, if I've signed a new deal, that's usually in the newsletter. But I also put it on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook as Diana Quincy. Um, not as active there. The, the latest from me, you're going to really find on Instagram. Okay. Awesome. And so we'll have all that in the show notes as well to find uh, Diana and keep, uh, and keep up to date with everything. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This has been so lovely. And Thank I, and I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been so much fun. It's so good to finally meet you. I've listened to you. Oh, <laughs> nice to, uh, <laughs> and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. And everybody out there, happy reading. <laughs>